It's October 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 15 of The Mike Newman Show, where, yes, once again, Mike and Tim get together at our favorite little Austin eatery for uh, chatting about life, and uh, this week we focused in on, uh, surprise, travel once again. I've been away for a little while, and uh, Tim had some family in and so forth, so uh, it's been a little while since we got back together, and uh, might have gone a little longer than we planned, but... uh, Sit back, relax, uh, grab a plate of Migas, your favorite morning beverage, perhaps, and uh, enjoy the show. Yeah, it'd be like your very own ice cream Lewitt microphone. Microphone, absolutely. Well, it's good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. And everybody's just still on doing. We're just doing stuff. Had had family in town a little bit the last couple of weeks, so that's always nice. Uh, don't don't see my family from Oklahoma that much, so it was great. Great, <clears throat> and yeah, just coming after your your big anniversary gathering is good to probably reconnect that quick. Got to got to see good. some people twice in a, in a six weeks that I haven't seen for years before, so it was great. That's great. Yeah, and I had a little travel myself. Went over to Europe for work, and then uh, visited a friend and her family. In Eastern Europe, and somehow made it home without picking up any sort of uh, cold or sneeze. So, good times. Indeed, you gotta you gotta treat that as a successful trip. I think <laughs> if you can uh, if you can walk off the plane and don't have to go to immediately to the emergency room, which I have had to do it from time to time. So. And along that lines, we're headed to our topic for the day. Just kind of continuing our travel discussions talk a little more travel uh last time uh, i think i i monopolized a lot of the conversation with my uh my very first uh, travel experiences and uh, i'll kind of kick off uh, the continuation but we'll get into a bit of uh, mike and i's travel together and a few of our experiences uh over the i, I guess i would characterize it as uh, kind of the golden era of uh of air travel because as we all know that's going strictly into the toilet these yeah. days so <laughs> at, at any rate but the uh, the uh, first travel that i did after i started work and uh, uh most of my travel experience in my seven and a half million miles frequent flyer miles has been uh, accumulated after i started to, to work uh, was uh, uh, for a for a, a country kid from Western Oklahoma. It was it was very enlightening. Yeah, uh, a very light, enlightening experience. But the the first trip, uh, international trip that I took, uh, was in 1974. Uh, the company I worked for, Schlumberger, had uh, a large engineering facility in Paris, or just mm-hmm. south of Paris, in a little village called Clamart, and we were working when I signed on with Slumberger, uh the company was undertaking a significant software development uh, for digital computer systems which was, was innovative for the company it was all an analog electronic based company at mm-hmm. that point uh, so, so there were there were two significant engineering efforts started one in Paris and one in Houston mm-hmm. and we did a lot of coordination between the two and at that time the 
the way you did coordination pretty much was to get on an airplane and, and fly to the other place. And so I spent started in 1974 uh, with my very first trip to Paris, uh, which accentuated my naivete uh, of travel in, in general. And I, I was the, the butt of a lot of jokes of, of people that were more traveled than I at that time. Well, you're the young guy in the office, too. So it's like, you know, yep. whoever the new guy is is going to get and, a and lot of eyeballs on. As, as was the want of the company at the time, travel was travel was obviously an extravagance, and uh, yeah. and so you had to you had to start worrying from the word go about being too extravagant extravagant in your travel, which meant that that in general, even though two people might have been useful on a trip, you only sent one person along. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was the case that uh, we were, in my case we ran into a, a situation where. Uh, there were significant coordination efforts to be done, and it was my turn in the barrel to, to get on a plane and go to Paris, even though I had never gone uh, on an international flight before. Right. But this was at a time where, in living in Houston, Air France had two 747s that they flew from Paris to Houston to Mexico City to Houston to Paris. Okay. And these planes left every day, mm-hmm. and one plane would make it back in two days, if you will, mm-hmm. and the, 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 the second plane would, would be halfway through the trip at that sure. time. So they just, they just cycled this that way for years, mm-hmm. uh, 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 hauling people. But lots of folks from Paris love to go to Mexico for vacation. Yeah. And uh, a lot of sig- lesser significant number were going to Houston for business, the oil industry business, if mm-hmm. you will. And so it was, it was a just a route. route that yeah. worked very well for Air France, and, and we, we contributed to that. So uh, I was uh, going to travel to Paris, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I got on a, a flight, and as it turned out, as it turned out in that case, we were the, the first the first attempt to uh, to take off uh, or, or to, to leave from Houston. I was just getting ready to go to the airport when I got a call from the airline saying, due to mechanical difficulty, the flight was going to be delayed for several hours, like like to the next day. Yeah. Right? So so okay, I, I wasn't going to leave at ten o'clock tonight. I was going to leave at, at at nine o'clock the next morning or something like that. Okay. So uh, I, that was delayed, and so that was my first experience with an international flight. Is it doesn't take off on time? Yep. Uh, this one took off, uh, and in the course we had mechanical difficulties, and so the flight had to land in London uh, as opposed to going on to Paris. Paris, yeah. And so once I got to London, there, there apparently was going to be a, a significant amount of time to. Uh, to service the plane, yeah, and so it was recommended that passengers make, or they, that the airline helped get you on other flights to take you from London over to Paris. As it happened at London Heathrow Airport, mm-hmm. they were having a baggage handler strike. Oh, cool! And so, if you wanted your checked baggage to get to Paris with you on mm-hmm. a different flight, you had to. Uh, go pick it up at the at Heathrow mm-hmm. and 
uh, the the terminal that you arrived in for for an international flight from the United States mm-hmm. happened to be a different terminal than you departed for to get over from London over to Paris, and so you had to get your own checked bag from one terminal to the other because the baggage handlers wouldn't carry it between terminals. Nice. And so I, I found myself uh, dragging this large suitcase, actually full of, I had a large suitcase full of magnetic Equipment. tapes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the way we transported yeah, software that's at the time. How. <laughs> and so I, here I am, uh, a total novice uh, at, at travel anyway, but I'm dragging this large suitcase uh, through the, what I would have to characterize as the back streets of, of Heathrow Airport because yeah. they, they don't really, at that time, they didn't really expect a lot of people to be walking from one terminal to another. Well, they still don't. Yeah. Because there's like, they're on opposite ends of runways. There's like a cluster of like, what is it, Terminal 1, 2, and 3 right. are down there somewhere. And you got four, and then they just built five, which is on the other end of the runway. Today, today actually, the most, or the, the day, it's been 10 or 15 years ago, but. In more recent days, when I've had to do the same thing, I've had to transfer between terminals. I've actually taken a taxi uh, and never gotten off of the Heathrow Airport. Wow. So, so at any rate, uh, <laughs> on that trip, I, yeah. I finally got my bag over to uh, uh, the terminal, uh, got on flight. I, I think it was actually a British Airways flight that took me on to Paris. Yeah. Uh, got off the plane at uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport. Mm-hmm. And so now became the, 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 the excited, how do you get from the airport to my hotel? And, and, and Clamart is nowhere near Roissy. Right. Well, fortunately, I was actually heading for a, a, a hotel in the, in the, that, that we've stayed in. It's now a Marriott, Marriott. But Well, no, it was the Marriott over in okay. uh, Saint, uh, around uh, uh, Rue Saint-Jacques. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, at that time, it was mm-hmm. a PLM, which stood for Paris Lyon Marseille Railway. Oh, cool! And so it was a PLM hotel at huh. that time, and so I I went out of the uh, 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 airport, wandered out onto the curb to look around to see how <laughs> I I was going to get there, and I saw a bus that uh, that went to said bus to Paris and so uh, okay I was it the Air France branded bus no it, it was, was a, it was it was a it was a city bus basically yeah, okay ah. but it was a it, it actually took me to the Port St. Cloud okay which coming from Oklahoma was the Port St. Cloud oh uh, yeah port, yeah I've seen that uh, yeah yep. yep. <laughs> so so uh I thought, okay, that's in Paris. That's closer to the hotel than I am now. So I got on the bus. It was very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. The bus rode away, and we traveled for a long time. And I gawked out the window at uh, at lots of strange signs that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that you know I'd I'd probably be able to. Uh, at that time, my my the impression was that that French was just. English with a bad accent, and I realized that no, it, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to gawk at the buildings and the signs and, and everything going on. But I'm reasonably confident you're headed you, you, closer. We're managing. Yeah, yes. I'm getting closer. So I uh, they, they wheeled into the uh, bus terminal at the Port St. Cloud, and it was very busy. I got off and stood amongst the crowd and and uh, and uh, noticed uh, what appeared to be a taxi 
And mm-hmm. at that point, I thought, I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'll just take a taxi on. And, and I uh, was able to, uh, I got onto the taxi, I was able to pronounce the PLM St. Jack. And the taxi driver recognized that as a hotel and mm-hmm. got me to the hotel. And it was great. I finally was cool. there. Made it there. Turned out that that particular hotel had, I had actually read uh, before I left, had a, had a very well-respected uh, restaurant. Okay. And so for the week that I was there, I pretty much took most of my evening meals in the hotel. Yeah. Because it was, it was fairly good. But that earned me the 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 uh, enmity of uh, all of the, my friends back in Houston that did a lot of traveling. That, mm-hmm. that that Jurgensen was obviously an idiot. He went to Paris and ate in his hotel all week, right? <laughs> but uh, that was the case. But they at least had recommended to me that uh, since Clamar was outside of Paris and mm-hmm. was outside the normal. Uh, metro and bus lines that just take a taxi between the hotel and uh Lamar. okay it was moderately expensive but mm-hmm. it, it at least i got into a taxi at the hotel and it let me out mm-hmm. at destination the front was known yeah. yeah uh so the rest of that the rest of that week was actually relatively uneventful i'd take the taxi to the uh to the uh to work mm-hmm. and then take the taxi back to the hotel and I would get out of the hotel to explore around the neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, that was there. Uh, I actually found uh, what I think is probably perhaps one of the longest streets in Paris that maintains the same name, wow. which is Rue Saint-Jacques. Oh, okay. And Rue Saint-Jacques actually runs from the south periphery all the way down to almost uh, Notre Dame. I was going to say, it sounds familiar because most of... Where I've stayed and a lot of times we've stayed in similar areas has been near Notre Dame in, right. in San Michel area. That's, and that name rang a bell, so I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a relatively small street, and there's a, it's, it's, to be, it's distinct from the Boulevard Saint-Jacques, mm-hmm. uh, which is a much shorter street, as, as most streets in Paris are. They'll have one name for a few, week, for a few blocks, and then mm-hmm. they'll change names to something else. And so it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. But yep. Rue Saint-Jacques... Went all the way down and came all the way back, and it, it was a, it was a marvelous little street to just walk along as well. Lots of little bakeries and coffee shops and other things. Yep. And so I, I, I made my way down to to Notre Dame and, mm-hmm. and uh, found where the Louvre was and all of that. Uh, so so I, I, it was it was well and made. And that's a for good a bit of a walk. It is. It is. But that's as we both recognize. One of the nice things about Paris is mm-hmm. that it's a walkable city. Completely. You literally can walk across the entire city in a half a day. I've done it during yep. daylight. I've done it kind of late. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you're out after uh, out after midnight uh, and the the metro has stopped running. Yep. That's uh, your choice. And, and the or taxis you... are very hard to come by. You mm-hmm. very often will find yourself walking long distances to get back to the hotel. And, and a lot of times you just convince yourself, "Ah, oh, we can walk." Yes. And and, and you and your colleagues who. Uh, you know, just some of us like for trade shows or whatever, like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get dinner, uh, up at the opera and then we'll walk down to, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, south of, south of the, uh, uh, garden, uh, Luxembourg down, down south of garden Luxembourg. And I'm yep. like, we're not there yet, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful walk. You know, you cross those bridges across the Seine and, 
Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful city to walk. It, it is. So at anyway, that mm-hmm. was, uh, and the trip home was uh, was relatively uneventful. I, I, I literally took a uh, took a taxi at that point. I took mm-hmm. a taxi back to the airport, mm-hmm. uh, got checked in. the The flight took off on time. It actually went to Houston. There we go. And uh, uh, so it worked out well. But that was my uh, my introduction to to international travel. Uh, at least got a, I got over the fear of. Uh, uh, finding my way around, and which is, I, I guess, is a blessing in and of itself that it happened very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone ultimately in, in travel, particularly international travel, gets dumped into a situation that requires a little on-the-spot uh, uh, replanning of yeah. what you intended to do. And so doing that early on in one's career is, is probably uh, uh, something of a, of a good thing. But I was it, I, I got back to Houston and uh, uh, made it home uh, <laughs> the right. But it, it set the uh, it set the, uh, the the stage then for lots and lots of travel between Houston and Paris during the the 1970s sure. and into the 1980s. There were there were many years that I took anywhere from 12 to 20 trips. Over the course of a year, mm-hmm. uh, well, that's how you get to seven pairs. and a half million. And that, by that's the way. that's the way you that's the way you do that. Yeah, yeah. You, you take you take uh, uh, a significant number of really long trips. Yeah, you know if you if you if you just travel in within the United States, it's hard to accumulate uh, our, lots our, of miles. Our mutual colleague Thomas, he uh, he was taking segments like crazy domestically, doing the uh, doing the sales work and the account management. Um, really in the late you know, 2002 through like 2006 or so when um, when we were developing the uh, the reseller network and he was just and I was doing the standards flights with you going you know all these long trips and relatively few compared to him I mean he was li- he was truly a um, um, you know a, a travel warrior of, of sorts or whatever they call that um, you and I just got on these big planes and sat for hours and he's running from terminal to terminal meeting back, you know, taxi, everything else. And I'm like, dude, whatever you get, you've earned it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, there, there, there have been trips, uh, uh, late in my career, uh, over the last, uh, three or four years that I was traveling, uh, at all. Uh, doing standards work, uh, I actually traveled on around-the-world tickets. Yeah. And it was not unusual that uh, in the course of one around-the-world trip, I could accumulate 50,000 miles because of the the various routes that I had to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you, In essence, you get credit for traveling twice around the world for only going around it once. Uh, well, that takes us to, and we won't go there yet, but um, it takes us to one of our joint missions if you will that was that's where you introduced me to the round the world ticket desk there's a dedicated yeah this is too complicated we have a one world for american and you know the the affiliate airlines and there was one leg of that journey where you're like well yeah i'm going back up to hong kong from kuala lumpur before i go to sydney and i got out a map and i'm like you enjoy that I'm I'm pulling eighty bucks out of my pocket to pay Malaysia Air <laughs> to yeah. put me on an hour and a half flight down to Sydney from here. So uh, 
Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, no, we were going from uh, Kuala Lumpur you, you, to you, Singapore. You, I was going to Singapore to catch my leg. That's yeah, you, right. That, that, yeah, yeah, you were just going to go to Singapore. Yeah, no, Singapore is another. Singapore to, Singapore to Sydney is another seven to nine hours. It, yep. it Asia is a different animal. It, when, it, when it, it, it really is. Ta- when, you, when you travel in Asia, it's it's uh, it's really strange. I remember uh, getting on a, a, on a flight from from the, the very first flight that I took to Singapore. Mm-hmm. I went through Tokyo, yep. and so they, I had to very quickly run. There's a, 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 a tight connection uh, within in, in Tokyo uh, to get over to the flight to uh, to Singapore, and I I'd forgotten to even check how long that flight was, and I. I thought, oh, this is a this is a Austin to Dallas type flight. You know, it's an hour or so, and I uh, I got on the flight. It took off, and and uh, I finally got a flight attendant to uh, to clue me in as to when we when we landed. And I think it was what a seven and a half hour. It's a flight. seven and a half hour ride yeah. from Tokyo Narita to Singapore, <laughs> and yeah, and you're right about the tight connection. We would normally fly American over there, and JAL was the partner, and it's kind of like Heathrow, but worse. You know, you, you land into one terminal, and then you got to find your way completely to the other end of the airport. Yep. And I never made that journey. I, I always got in too late. There was a terrible connection, and I usually had a, a very nice uh, JAL um, person standing there with my name, Mr. Newman. And they would, the, the one time, sorry, I you know, just might as well finish the story. When we pulled in, I saw right next to us this beautiful Singapore Airlines um, 747. And I said, gee, wouldn't it be great if I just had to get on that plane? And that's the one I got on. Because <laughs> the, the, what they were supposed to do was go to the other end of the airport. And they had already, this, this is where the service of uh, the Japanese airlines and uh, some of the European airlines are just fantastic. They, they know you're going to be late. The reason we were late was because the plane left. Uh, it was it was when San Jose had the direct uh, American flights back and forth to Narita, and so they knew it was going to be late because it arrived two hours late into San Jose, and it, they only gained like 15 minutes going back. And I think they had a mechanical before they left. Anyway, it's just a mess. And so she literally just said, "Your bags are being transferred. Come with me." And I just followed her right over. She had my boarding pass. She handed it to the, the flight attendant when I got on the Singapore, Orland, Singapore Airlines flight. And that's when I learned um, the most I've ever learned about um, cricket. So for those seven and a half hours, I was doing everything I could to either try to sleep. You know, I mean, it was just murder. And uh, so that that's the beginning and the end of my education on cricket was watching like two hours of <laughs> cricket matches and these guys speaking australian english um telling me what was going on and yeah it was it was a it was a cool trip but um yeah it's you, you just have to have a plan but then you have to be ready just like eisenhower said get ready to get rid of your plan yep. because a new one will likely be needed generally when the when the first bullet flies the plan <laughs> goes out the window and uh, you've got to do something different yep yeah. traveling yep. in the, in the 1970s uh was 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 fascinating as, as i say I, I i was working on a project that required coordination between houston and paris so i did a lot of traveling between houston and paris mm-hmm. and then we were we were doing deployment of 
computer systems within the United States uh, that required a good bit of travel uh, within the U.S. Yeah. Uh, as well, and, and a significant amount of travel up to Canada, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Calgary was uh, the center of the, of the oil industry in Canada and uh, did a lot of, of, of flying up there. Mm -hmm. But it was, a, 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 I think I'd kind of characterize it as almost the, at, at least within my lifetime, the golden age of, of travel because uh, travel for the general population was expanding significantly mm -hmm. and travel for the business population was traveling, uh, was expanding significantly. And, and so uh, you started out with uh, airplanes which were much more comfortable to travel in, period. Mm -hmm. uh, seats were a little wider and we're a little further apart even mm -hmm. in, in coach class and so that was not an unreasonable uh, uh, way to fly for, yeah. for, a, for a big guy like I am mm -hmm. uh, uh, physically uh, too large for most of the seats if you will well you got that you know kind of that is it sweet or your uh, Norwegian for sure well it's a history uh, to uh, you uh, there yeah my name uh, yeah Jurgensen Jurgensen <laughs> actually it's, it's it's Danish as it turns oh, okay. out it's actually Danish but uh, but yeah at, at any yep. rate uh, it was a uh, it was it was good to travel um, uh, in any fashion, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was the as the as flying in particular was becoming more popular, more people were getting into it. The airlines started uh, putting in place uh, programs and developing uh, facilities that made traveling. A lot of fun and, yeah. and, 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 and relatively comfortable yeah. as well. And so it, 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 was, it was very pleasant. And it, it, it was, oh, in the, uh, the late 1980s, perhaps early 1990s, that uh, uh, travel started to be, and perhaps even the late 1990s, that travel started to become such a commodity mm -hmm. that Airline seats became smaller. They got packed closer together. Yeah. Uh, lots of amenities, meal services, etc., started going out the window, and mm -hmm. and travel became, as I character, I would characterize it today, is more of a chore than a, a pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something to be endured. But during the 1970s, it was uh, it was it was very very pleasant. Uh, I shouldn't say pleasant, but it was. But certain, there was a there was more of a premium expectation you were doing something that in in that era as frequently as you were doing it for sure but just in general for business travel my understanding is that really you, you had some expectation of being treated differently than now where it, it's it's I, and I'm not I'm not throwing myself completely into that category because I still have some residual love thrown my way by American Airlines, for example. With that's where I have my 2.4 million, but you know, uh, because of corporate um, purchasing agreements and so forth, and as the company that I work for has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, they get into more of these. Um, you, you just get funneled into a tool, and you tell it you need to go from here to here, and the things that that the itineraries that thing comes up with are brutal. They're either ridiculously short layovers or five, six, seven-hour layovers. And they just, anyway, 
and and you're in the back of the bus and you're on an airline that you don't have any you can't be loyal to an airline uh, with, with with the same benefits that that we accrued in that span of time I would say between like uh, uh, well like you said when I first joined Schlumberger in December 2001 in early actually in March of 2002 was when Schlumberger made the announcement that any flight um, over six and a half hours, over six hours that crosses an ocean, <laughs> you qualify for um, business class. Well, of course, that was only because you could easily fly six hours within the United States, and they didn't want to pay for people to get bumped up for that right. no it was only for their own use for flying across the ocean so right. <laughs> a lot of creative uh ways of keeping newman in economy um and well but, yeah. but it, yeah one of the issues is uh, uh i'm sure it's it's different now but uh at, at that point uh it, in, in within the united states most airlines had Essentially, two yeah, levels two of service, yeah. and, and the other was first class. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and so the idea of, uh, of flying employees around first class was 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 kind of frowned upon, right? Yeah. And, and and so it was a little tough. It yeah. was, but it was easier to uh, to justify business class if you were crossing an ocean. So, and that's uh, essentially what they've done now for a lot of the larger aircraft and the in the hub to hub flights is they'll have, um, uh, like the flight I took from Denver to Munich. Um, and it was on uh, Lufthansa, actually. So anyway, American or United does the same thing. You'll have a business class section, which is basically a cozy first class experience as far as you get your pod and, and whatever. And then they've um, got a, a, a midsection that is like premium economy, which is kind of like I would characterize it as modern versions of those wider seats and the different pitch which was economy in the 70s and then you get back to where i was i was two rows from the galley in the back of the plane now it's okay i don't mind that too much um but (laughs) the pitch between the seats my knee and i'm not super tall i'm like six one but everything I could do to get myself slid back in the seat still only gave me about three-quarters of an inch from my knees to the seat in front of me. And this rather petite lady in front of me decided she was going to recline all the way back. And I literally, when I reached down to try to get my bag from underneath the seat in front of me, I was breathing in her ear because that's where she was. She was like literally in my lap yep. and uh that was that was uh my other favorite thing sorry is they give you armrests for a reason that's how you're supposed to get yourself up out of your seat and back into your seat you're not supposed to grab the seat in front of you and slingshot that person's head off the back of the cushion but the person behind me wasn't aware of that technique yep so these are the joys of nine and a half hours from Denver to Munich in 2022. So <laughs> it's just not fun anymore. Yeah. It, it's uh, I, I now have kind of repositioned my mentality of I just get through the flights and I look forward to the destination. And uh, 
And I guess the other little bit was um, over time I've, and I learned this from, um, I think you knew him as well, a uh, guy from, uh, used to work for uh, Integrator. Actually, they hosted the first uh, 24-7-27 TF9 up, uh, his name's Brian, and he had traveled the world like crazy as well. And I once asked him, I said, how do you do it? And he goes, just live where you are. You know, you don't try to do all this pre-time shifting and everything else. You're just messing up where you are. Get rested in your own time zone and then just get on the plane, suck it up, buttercup. And like we were saying, you know, you get to, you get to Paris and if you can find the time usually you're arriving on a Sunday to save the company that money but you get it back in the sense of a day to acclimate and you do that just by out walking and enjoying the city yeah absolutely yeah you do do uh, you do do work your way around in the course of those those years actually I I, I, I experienced um, I think a couple of, of, of uh, actually I, I, I can think of three interesting experiences uh, uh, that, that 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 occurred to me during the the seventies. Number one, as far as I know, uh, uh, Air France was perhaps the first airline to introduce the concept of business class, mm-hmm. and in, in 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 traveling between Houston and Paris on Air France uh, seven forty seven. When they introduced business class, it, it essentially meant it amounted to an upgrade of meal service. Mm-hmm. So business class, you, you sat in the regular seats, okay. the, the, the coach seats, if you will, mm-hmm. because there was coach and there was first class. Right? W- and was so, first class exclusively in the nose at that time? Yes, or yes. In the upper level. And the, the upper level. Yeah. So they did both. Okay. Yep. Uh, but I, I never traveled mm-hmm. uh, sure. in, in, first, in class. first class in, at, yeah. at that time. But they, they, they did introduce business class, which was an upgraded meal service. So you got mm-hmm. you got a, got you got the nicer wine, you got better meals, you, you got meals on. Uh, it wasn't just chicken or pasta questions, right? Yeah. And, and so so that was and, and it you know it, it cost an extra forty dollars on your ticket or something like that to, to, to do business class rather than coach. Uh, so it was uh, it was a very modest upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. But but. We see where that has expanded. Oh, it's and, turned and into the, a luxury and, ticket. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, the, I think it was it, the fact is that that the, the concept of business travel uh, was just coming into its own during that era. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, and, and so uh, the, the 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 second uh, 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 thing that occurred uh, while while I was uh, traveling in those days, and it, it, it occurred in in uh, 1980. Uh, 82 or 83 was was uh, American Airlines introduced the concept of the frequent flyer program. Mm-hmm. So you you actually accumulated uh, points, if mm-hmm. you will, for travel, and you could uh, you could garner benefits uh, based on the points that you had. Mm-hmm. And so with the introduction of the Advantage program, mm-hmm. uh, my Advantage number. Is uh, yours is still all eight. numbers? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's all numbers and and, and 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 it is a little longer than that. But I, I remember I, you repeating that for some agent somewhere, and yeah. she just looked at you like, "Are you done?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm done. done. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that, that they, I, I think they, uh, I, I I signed up with the Advantage program when it was about three months old. I think I don't think I was in the first month, but. Uh, it, it, about three months later, uh, I, I signed up for it, uh, and and 
the, the, the benefits of, of uh, traveling uh, within the, the frequent fire program at that time were, 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 were fantastic. Uh, literally, I could, uh, I could, with, 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 with very few trips, I could earn enough points for another ticket. And so during mm. the 1970s mm-hmm. and into the 1980s, uh, when I, I would garner enough, excuse me, in the 1980s into the 1990s, I would garner okay. enough frequent flyer miles uh, that I could fly my family with me a lot of the time just based on the, the miles I accumulated in my, in my business travel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a consequence, uh, my, my children started traveling very early in life. My, my oldest daughter's first trip was when she was three months old. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, and that was all on, on tickets. I, I recall uh, in 1983, uh, in concert with my very first trip from Austin, I lived in Austin at that time, from Austin to Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, I arranged for my wife and older daughter, to, uh, uh, who was three or four at the time, Wow. To fly over to meet me in Honolulu in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I flew from Tokyo back to Hawaii. They flew over, and uh, I signed both of them up for the Advantage program at that time. And on that one trip, uh, we each of us earned a free round-trip ticket. So so we, uh, we were able to... To, to take a trip and earn a trip uh, uh, in, yeah. in one fell swoop. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, and, that, and that was rather, relatively typical. Uh, they, the uh, uh, frequent flyer program, they, they generally would run a, run a, a special every spring and every fall that mm-hmm. if, you, if you traveled so many miles or had so many connecting, uh, or how many fly, segments, fly or segments yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you'd, you'd win a free ticket or yeah. two free tickets. And, and, Almost invariably, I, I would uh, I would pick up one or two free tickets mm-hmm. each spring and each fall, and uh, uh, could, uh, could travel with me. So it was a yep. it was a kind of a golden era for the uh, for the frequent flyer program as they were really trying to push getting that started off. And exactly. It, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, uh, or I, I keep saying a lot of fun. It it's it's always has always been. Uh, something to be endured when you get on a plane and you fly somewhere else. Sometimes it's more enjoyable than other times, but yeah. it's, it's always something that, that you kind of have to endure to, to do it. And, and even, I mean, I just even domestically, I just get tired. I mean, you, you get uh, just a flight. Being in Texas, I love, I, I, I did my first travels before joining Schlumberger in, in 2001, I traveled a little bit for the companies I worked for in um, in Virginia, uh, mainly the shipyard. We had a project with uh, Lockheed Martin out in Silicon Valley, so I found myself. And this was this was pre uh, high speed internet data transfer, so we we actually had these tapes that we would FedEx <laughs> back and forth to each other across the country for this project. And I remember going out to California a couple times, and you know, connect through Pittsburgh on these little uh, Fokker 100s or, or whatever they, they were at the time. But you just, it's just something about the, the air or something to get you tired, and, and even without the, the big jet lag. But I love being in the central part of the country because each coast is just 
the three, same three three hours away three hours away <laughs> and uh and now that i work uh, a lot with uh, some folks up in minnesota that's another you know two hours 45 three hours up there so everything's kind of three hours away yeah. and I, I like that and uh the longer flights when you can get them from um say texas uh over over the over the ocean um that gives you a little more time to kind of like settle in and try to catch some some sleep eye or uh, some shut eye but i honestly say you know when you're leaving from new york or you're flying into newark or whatever those are short hops <laughs> i mean they're they're annoyingly long but they're they're relatively short um when when you add on chicago or or uh, dallas there was a there was a period uh uh, you run into interesting uh, uh, regulatory issues in traveling uh, uh, still today, but certainly uh, in the 1970s. Uh, and I, th- I think it was attributed to, I want to say Jim Wright, who was the Speaker oh, yeah. of the House of Representatives. Yeah, the, 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 the Southwest Law, yeah, basically. The, the, yeah, the Southwest Law that uh, that uh, basically, well, it was... What they call it the Wright Amendment? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was, it was, it was some it. Some writer on a federal bill? Yeah, and, and among other things, it mandated that if you if you flew from Texas, uh, you couldn't fly from Texas directly into National Airport in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You had to fly to Dulles. And, uh, and so uh, I remember there were a number of instances there where I, I, I took flights that went from, from Dallas to Dulles and then a completely separate flight on the same airplane that flew from Dullis to Nashville. <laughs> so so you'd, you, you'd have one leg that would take you into Dulles Airport and then another leg which would 45 minutes later take you over to National Airport in downtown And that's DC. all just managing approach because yeah, <laughs> yeah, as the bird flies, you're there in 10. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, I think I think they would top out at, I don't know, 6,000 feet or something like yeah, that. But you, yeah. you'd barely get off the ground. But, yeah, that was that was a, 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 an interesting uh, aspect of, uh, of travel at the time that uh, Southwest Airlines in Texas had enough clout with the, the politicians that. Uh, and then once once that got sorted out, right to where that wasn't a that uh, that limitation was was gone. Now one of Southwest's most popular routes is the San Diego to Austin, Austin to DCA, and back. And it's perfectly timed. It, it leaves um, it, the connection to parts Austin like at 12.30 or 1 p.m. You get in at 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. That plane turns right back around, which is a perfect return trip for... And I've seen politicians, Congress people, senators... Riding, just standing there in the in the queue at Southwest with yep. the rest of us, yep. and Ready to get on. You, you just can't beat it for for convenience. One of the interesting it, it, it evolved a flight from uh, uh, from uh, uh, National uh, Washington National Airport into Dallas uh, that I I, I, I happened on was in, in, in I, I want to say it's 1984 somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, Took a, uh, and it's one of these where you you, 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 you pass something, you see something, and then after a bit it registers. It registers right, and you, you, you think back, well, was that the case? Well, this was, this was a flight where uh, I was flying from, from National to, to, uh, to Dallas. Uh, I got on the plane, 
the, the, the plane took off, and uh, when it landed in Dallas as I was walking out, I, I glanced into the cockpit, and th- this was on a 727, mm-hmm. so it was a three, there were three, three engine, three yep. engine and, 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 and there were three uh, pilots, or three right. people. You're in a flight the, engineer in, on that one. Flight engineer on that one. There were three folks up in the, in the, the forward cabin, and as I glanced in, as I was doing a plane, I looked, and they were all women. They were mm-hmm. all ladies. Uh, the pilot, the co-pilot, the flight engineer were all ladies. And uh, at that time, I, I, I hadn't thought about it at the time, but sure. every one of the flight attendants uh, that was handling the cabin were all women as well. Mm-hmm. And as I got off the plane, I thought, hmm. Uh, well, actually, I was sometime later. I thought that interesting that yeah. that that was a plane that was staffed entirely by women. Mm-hmm. Well, a, as it turns out, uh, I, I actually read a a, a, a bit in, a, in the newspaper three or four days later that that was indeed the first uh, recognized instance of an all-female crew, crew. Yeah. Uh, taking a, a commercial. Uh, airline flight. What year was that? Uh, I want to say it was in 1984. Okay. It was somewhere between 82 okay. and 84. Yeah. But it was in that time frame. Because I remember in in my flying area, which would have been 15 years or so after that at least, um, the air, the, it was an American flight. They made a big deal about the same thing. And I'm like, pretty sure Tim told me a story a long time ago about, I, you know, so, yeah, it's, there's always a first. Well, and, and, and yeah. what was interesting about that to me, and, mm-hmm. and this was in the in the in the in the, the newspaper's article that I read a few days later, was that the the lady that was the captain of the flight mm-hmm. had arranged that all on her own. Oh, cool! No, 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 nothing from the company, no yeah. support from or anything else. But she she had had arranged it simply by scheduling scheduling the 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 co-pilot or mm-hmm. getting a co-pilot to pick up that flight getting the flight engineer to pick mm-hmm. up that particular flight and and the all made sure all of the flight attendants were, were, were but she she had arranged it yeah completely uh uh under yeah. the radar under the radar just kind of one-on-one scheduling with with everyone to get yep. that and, to uh, coincide, yeah, and and so the and the newspaper article that I read was you know it was a, a, an interesting human interest story. Mm-hmm. It was more yeah. of the fact that that that, 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 that this, this 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 captain had had arranged all of this right, and yeah. and and had been able to do it uh, all on her own. And I suspect that you know the, the the company may have looked back on that and said, well, rats. Well, I'm not sure at that time whether that whether they would have viewed that as a, as a missed opportunity. But as you say, certainly 15 years later, they oh, would have, it, it's w- it's an agenda item. Yeah, it, literally it, it, to it, make it, sure that make sure that we have this going. Again, I, I don't have a big issue with that. I just have a big. I don't have any issue with any of it. Yeah, you, you could have three heads if you can still see out the window and <laughs> land the plane and whatever. But um, yeah, it became more of a something that companies pay critical attention to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was interesting it was just it was it was uh, something that happened in the in the course of business and uh, some lady decided to just yep. take it in her own hands to make sure that that happened and and she did and i i always thought that was that was pretty cool uh, and I I, I I i thought it was interesting to uh, 
you know, it's a little bit like flying, the, being on the first flight of the Concorde or the first mm-hmm. flight of a, of a new route. Oh, yeah. Or that. It's, it's kind of fun to, to look back and, and realize that you were, uh, you, you participated a little bit in that. There was this, uh, so one of my, one of the flights that I flew a lot, or at least it seemed that way, was like the 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. Pacific departure direct from LAX to Austin back in the day when pretty much every aircraft you got on in the United States for American Airlines was an MD-80. I mean, that that aircraft was... That, that was the workhorse when I was doing most of my flying, and most of my flying at the time was with American. And you just... You felt weird when you got on a Delta MD-80 because everything was backwards. You know, the two, were, the two seats were on the wrong side of the plane. Just confusing as heck. But um, on American... So... It, it that that flight it's a five hour on the on the on the on your watch it's a three and a half hour flight uh, it's like a five hour and change what happens with the time zones so you're getting back in a little after midnight or, or whatever which is which is a whole experience in Austin airport which go into as well just the the fact that somebody asked the airport what is the scent of the polish you guys use on the buffers so when they're doing the floor maintenance in the middle of the night, well, that's where most of these flights are coming in. I mean, you look up the arrivals board, and there's like 12 flights coming in between 11.30 and 1 a.m. Anyway, so that's the flight coming in. Well, the pilot um, on this flight, and I've ha- I, I remember hearing him, he called it the, uh, the super scooter. He, he just called his plane the super scooter, MD-80 super scooter. And I'm like... Dude, just fly the plane. I, I, <laughs> he had a little shtick, and it was it was hilarious. But I was there when you say when you're there. It was his final flight. This this was his retirement segment um, back to Austin, and um, I thought, wow, no more super scooter announcements out of this guy on the on the homeward leg. But uh, we we both flew uh, uh, at the time. Well, I assume you did, but I, I may have predated you a little bit there. Uh, when I when I got to Austin in 1982, the uh, uh, we, we flew out of the old Austin airport. I landed at that once in '98. Uh, came into town for a wedding. Must have been about the last. That was that. Was, then they just switched the last, to Bergstrom. Yeah. Yeah. So I was about 20 years behind you on on. Uh, uh, well, during the during during the early 80s, uh, you, you flew into the old airport, and mm-hmm. the, the old airport. Uh, was a, a very short runway. It was less than a mile long, uh, and uh, uh, one end of the runway literally ran right up to the access road of I-35, which runs through the center of, of mm-hmm. Austin. And indeed, when you were landing, uh, you were perhaps, I, I want to say, at about 150 feet uh, altitude when you passed over I-35 mm-hmm. uh, to land. And American Airlines flew a DC-10, and the last flight of the day from Dallas to Austin was a DC-10 that landed at the old airport, and and I I read that they did that because it was cheaper to to park the DC-10 in Austin overnight than in Dallas. Yeah, that makes sense. And And it was was the cleanup flight. Yeah, so it... It was a big plane. Yep. It was we, we called it the cleanup or the sweeper flight. Yep, the sweeper flight. Because every other thing that had been late the whole evening, they'd, exactly. they'd put people onto onto that DC-10. And they did that with a 757 for a short period of time. Yeah. They, uh, they, they did that when they you almost, 
for the for a period of time toward the end of when I was doing most of my travel, um, they like you said there's about about every hour you could you could set a clock there's going to be an MD80 flying back or forth between Austin and Dallas, and then as things piled up during the day thunderstorms on this coast or whatever on that coast, you just always knew that there was going to be that 10 or 10:30 flight out of Dallas to Austin, and then you'd have that. 6 or 5.30 a.m. flight up that got you to most of the flights out of Dallas. And this was when they were going through the Airbus conversion. They were um, retiring the MD-80s, but but the MD-80 didn't give you that. And So there was a gap between the DC-10 sweeper and the 757, but it was just hilarious. This, this big old eagle bird yep. storked right into... <laughs> the terminal yeah. and then somebody was getting on that in the morning to go somewhere else it was cool well that that last flight uh and, and everybody knew the the last the dc, DC 10 flight into austin you know every mm-hmm. every business traveler knew about it yep and i remember one night uh i i flew was flying in from somewhere and landed in a different terminal Mm-hmm. And literally, the plane landed at the time that the last sweeper, that DC-10, was supposed to be taking off. Okay. But when I got off the plane, uh, I glanced at the board, and I noticed that it was, it was, uh, it hadn't taken off yet. Mm-hmm. Now, this was in the, this was at the time before the trans, tram trains was in the Was it before the T-R-A-A-I-N? Yes, it was before that. It was even before that piece of junk. It was. It was. It was before <laughs> it. So the, the the it was it it was difficult to get from one oh, yeah. terminal to another, and so on that flight, I fortunately I, I had only carry on baggage, so I grabbed my bag, and I uh, uh, I went out the uh, the, um, the yep. front of the terminal, and there was a shuttle bus that carried people from the terminal out into the parking lots yep. to uh, to get there. And the and thing about Dallas is you could have parked at a completely different terminal and you're arriving back at a completely different terminal, which is why they had these shuttles. Right. And DFW is big. Very so big. <laughs> so I, I walked out. There was, there was a shuttle bus at the curb, and I, I, I stuck my head in the door, and I said, any chance that you can get me to terminal whatever it is, yep. B mm-hmm. or something? Uh, I need to catch my catch a flight to, to Austin, mm-hmm. and the guy said, "When does it leave?" I said, "It's scheduled to leave right now." Mm-hmm. He said, and he he had a full load of passenger people that were going to their cars. Yep. He said, "Get on, we'll give it a try." <laughs> and hang on is <laughs> what he so should have said. Pretty yes. much, and so I I pretty much hijacked all of those people that were trying to get to their cars because this guy. He floorboarded it. We went roaring out, and and uh, uh, a very few minutes later, we squealed up to the next uh, terminal up where that flight was from. Yep. And uh, as I was departing, I threw a twenty dollar bill at the guy. I yep. said, you know, thanks a lot, and I, I dove off, and I, and I made the flight. Yeah. Uh, so he he got me there in time, but I I uh, I managed to get onto that that last flight into Austin. And, yeah. Uh, uh, which meant I, I didn't have to stay overnight in Dallas or anything because that literally was the last flight of the night out for sure. to, to, to get here. Yeah, it was always uh, th- th- that was a that was a fun flight uh, from the perspective that it, it was the first airplane that DC-10 was the first airplane that I uh, remember that had uh, a, a sound channel. They had earphones you could mm-hmm. plug in earphones and and a 
and a, and a, and a bunch of several channels of various types of music that you could listen to, right? Right. But one of the channels was the air traffic control channel. Oh, I love that one. And so you could you could listen to the planes and the air traffic controllers mm-hmm. uh, talking, and and I, I I used to really love that to listen to the to the the the, 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 the chatter that went on yep. between in, planes and between planes and the. the in tra- my era, that only happened on United, and United Airline had a dedicated channel. I think it was nine. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, you had the. On this is where okay, kids. This was before you had screens in the back of your of of the airplane, and literally in the armrest you had a outlet for uh, like a headphone jack, a regular stereo headphone jack you could plug in there. Some of them had the airline only ones, which were double pronged, and then you could find adapters for those. But that's because they didn't want you to use your own stuff in there. And then you had a volume and a channel um, kind of little membrane thing that over the years would totally wear out and you could never change the channel or whatever but yeah this you'd get on there and and you'd hear the it was the the ground control air traffic control moving the planes around to get in position and then you'd have you know they transfer you to the area and then the region and you know handing you off to oklahoma city or whatever but yeah i I just that was fun you know and hearing your air your your flight united united 315 yeah, yeah, whatever. One night flying from 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 Dallas down to Austin, uh, uh, three three different airplanes, the pilots of three different airplane commercial flights, mm-hmm. got into an argument about who should be able to get into the landing pattern first. Oh goody! <laughs> and and, and, <laughs> and they, they literally were going at it uh, 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 over the air, if you will, and 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 after not very long, maybe a couple of minutes of this. Uh, all of a sudden, this very somber voice, the voice came of on, God, the voice of God, the air traffic <laughs> exactly. controller, the guy who on. actually decides. Yes, and 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 and, and said, uh, uh, "Gentlemen, we we will have no more of that chatter over the line." He said, "I'll be calling all of you on a landline after you land," <laughs> and so they they were they were appropriately chastised nice. and uh, uh, got to look forward to uh, uh, to. Uh, Talking to an air traffic control person. If not a piece of paper, that guy was taking notes for, yeah. for next time around. Yeah, it was uh, it was great fun. Uh, it was interesting. Austin was uh, I, well, I was I I had a, a couple of interesting experiences flying out of Austin in uh, uh, oh it would have been in just before 2000, probably 1997, 1998, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Uh, Austin. Um, a gentleman in Austin named Pike Powers was instrumental, absolutely instrumental in making Austin the high-tech center that it is today. Interesting. He was he was a, a political mm-hmm. uh, uh, mover and shaker in the Austin area, and he, I think, more than anyone else, had this vision of Austin being a technological center. Okay. Before it was. Before it was. And one of the things that he did was he entered into, he, or he at least brokered an agreement between several high-tech companies that had modest offices in Austin and American Airlines hmm. to establish nonstop flights between Austin and San Jose. Oh, yeah. 
So the nerd, he, the nerd bird. He put in place the nerd bird, and it, it, the, the nerd bird was was became was actually three flights in the morning, mm-hmm. three flights in the evening from yep. Austin to San Jose, and another three th- flights from San Jose to Austin, nonstops every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were there were these three flights in the morning, and there were again three flights in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say three o'clock. Six o'clock and eight o'clock, something like that, in the evenings, mm-hmm. or five forty-five maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then similarly, uh, seven, nine, and ten, or yeah. something like that, in the mornings. Uh, so literally, at that time, you could make a day trip from Austin to San Jose and back to Austin. Been there, and, done that. And a yep. lot of a lot of the <laughs> of the high tech companies. Yep. Did that, and that made it very easy for those companies to establish larger and larger offices in Austin sure. uh, to be in concert with their, their offices in, in San Jose or in, the, in this yeah, whole Silicon Valley, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Silicon Valley area. And uh, as you noted, those, those were affectionately known as the nerd birds mm-hmm. uh, in an era before Bluetooth communication between devices. You you <laughs> used literally internet cabling. Yep. And on more than one flight, as I would get on, there would be 15 people from some company office that were getting on the same flight. Yep. They would immediately sit down in their seats up and down the, the airplane. Somebody would break out a 100-foot length <laughs> ethernet cable. It would be passed down the line. Yep. People would plug their laptops into it. Yep. And you literally had as much computing power flying on that one airplane, probably as was running NASA at the time. <laughs> at the time, yeah. You know, there, there'd be there, there, in that instance there were there were probably 25 uh, laptops connected into a single network, and these people were working yeah, together. Yeah, one of them had the file share, and the rest of them were cranking code in or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah they, they 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 got three hours of work in uh, while while they were doing. Well, on one of these flights, uh, yep. I, I was was catching a, a three o'clock flight from uh, from Austin to San Jose. Mm-hmm. Got on the plane, nonchalant, or a very uneventful, took off, and uh, I was was flying in first class at the time. I had a had a, a forward uh, bulkhead seat mm-hmm. on the left side of the airplane at the very front, so okay. I was I was literally in the front row of, yep. of the flight, and we were climbing out at about ten thousand feet over. Lake Travis, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there was an extremely loud bang right in front of me. Now, I had traveled enough at the time to know that if you're at 10,000 feet in an airplane and you hear a very loud bang in front of you, that was you didn't want that. That no. was ungood. Yes, ungood. The sound was not uh, my my thought was that the somehow the the uh, uh, nose wheel of the airplane had gotten overheated on takeoff and it had actually exploded. And that, mm-hmm. That's what the that sound was, what was the like. That was what thought was, yeah. Uh, it turns out that, that uh, we all looked around at each other in first class thinking, yeah, like, you know, was that, was that as bad as it sounded like to you? <laughs> yep. And, you know, we, 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 we were all a little bit white and, and, and a little bit concerned. Uh, and, and it took... A few seconds, maybe 35, 40 seconds, or maybe a minute or so for the fight, the pilot to come on and say, ladies right. and gentlemen, we've run into a bird. Yep. <laughs> and we're returning to the Austin terminal. Yep. And the plane turned around, 
flew back into to Austin, landed uneventfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you got off the plane, you you, the, you, you we were exiting through the the, the front mm-hmm. uh, front front door of the plane. As you got off the plane, if you glanced to your right, you actually saw the aluminum skin of the airplane peeled back, kind of like a, opening a sardine can. Wow! It had peeled back, and you saw bird sticking out of it. And uh, I thought, well, that was that was a good explanation for the bang that I heard. No and kidding. They'd run into a a turkey vulture. Turkey vultures are, are kind of I got I don't know how specialized they are to, to the Texas area, but mm-hmm. they're they're very prevalent in the in the Austin mm-hmm. area. They're they're big birds. They're they, big. They, they'll have a, 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 a six five six foot wingspan at least. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they could get to. I was gonna say, what's that 10, dude doing all the way up there? It was up there. The plane was traveling at better than 400 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So you run into something yeah. that big at 400 miles an hour. It, 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 le- it leaves, a, it leaves yeah. a mark. Yep. And uh, so we got, got back off, and, and two aspects of that. Uh, number one, I was traveling enough at the time, and uh, traveling, I, I, I was. Uh, belonged to the Admirals Club, so mm-hmm. I could sit in the club, uh, the, the, the frequent flyer club for American Airlines. And uh, I knew the, the ladies in the Admirals Club. They, they all knew me. I saw them a lot. And the, 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 the service they provided was was very uh, Asiatic in nature, if you will. They were very mother hen-like in they, the sense of they took care of their people. They did. Anybody yep. they recognized, they, 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 they took care of you. So that that plane, uh, the, the the plane landed. I I, uh, I walked off the plane. I wandered back down to the Admirals mm-hmm. Club, and as I walked in, the, the lady behind the desk uh, glanced up, saw me, said, "Oh, Mr. Jerkins," and said, uh, "We've uh, we've rebooked you on the six o'clock flight." Here's your boarding pass. Here's your boarding pass, and we've upgraded you. Yep. Uh, so you 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 <laughs> upgraded. I, cool. Uh, so that. That plane left at six. This was this was three uh, fifteen or so, three uh, mm-hmm. thirty. So I had a couple of hours to wait, and I sat in the Admirals Club and, and waited. And so when I, when I went down to the uh, the boarding gate to get on to the uh, six o'clock flight, um, uh, glance over there were there were two pilots that were deadheading now mm-hmm. out from Austin to San Jose, and it was the pilot and the co-pilot of the flight that had run into the bird. Yeah. And uh, so I, I walked over and, and chatted briefly with them, uh, uh, asked if they were, had been piloting the earlier plane that had hit the bird, and they said, yeah, they had. And I said, uh, well, did, uh, tell me, did, were you able to see the bird before the collision? And the, the pilot said, oh, yes. He said, uh, I saw the bird. He said, I assumed it was coming through the windshield right at my eyes. He said, uh, after the bird hit, I had to pick myself up out of the floor because I had ducked ducked down under my seat uh, (laughs) to get away. But he said, I I picked myself up, and uh, fortunately, the the bird didn't hit the windscreen. Uh, It hit the side of the plane uh, just enough that uh, it made a big bang and and damaged the plane, but uh, nothing more than that. But he said, it was, he said, that was exciting. I Uh, bet. So, anyway. Fortunately, the, the next flight was uh, was very uneventful. We, so many we, years later, they used all that training for the flight that I had a very similar experience with. Oh, really? Flying up over Lake Travis. I'm looking out the window, 
and a, and, I, and I'm up front as well, not as far up front, but pow. And without the announcement, maybe two or three, Two minutes later or something, the engines power down. So we're, we're there, there's definitely we're no longer climbing. Yep. We're uh, doing something else. And they they made an announcement that uh, he didn't call it a bird strike, but it was. And I, and I never saw anything you know uh, impact wise on the plane. But um, the return, the descent into Austin was um, very planned <laughs> we came yeah a little more please thanks um yeah there, there was no messing around it was, it was we, deliberate it was it was deliberate expedited um we came right down and he did make the announcement that we would see some uh, emergency equipment but that was just all precautionary and sure enough so so yeah the the yeah we we just hustled right back to austin um, uh, my my phone had said, you know, you're rebooked. You know, because at that point I, I was still uh, very active. Same thing. Went up to the club. Uh, that lady, I forget her name. She was just she was always there when 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 we were traveling together. Um, and she handed me the boarding pass and she said, uh, you know, make yourself comfortable. Couldn't get you direct out to San Jose, but through Dallas and was able to get you upgraded on the Dallas to uh, San Jose leg. And I was like, thank you very much. I mean, it was just, there was no stress to it other than pow, engine <laughs> slowing down. <laughs> and then uh, quick, a quick uh, scurry back to Austin. You know, it's the, I, I suspect it was that same lady. I, I, I unfortunately, I'm, I'm old enough and enough brain cells have died. I don't remember her name now. But uh, the last flight, airplane flight that I took was in 2013, in December of that year. Mm-hmm. So somewhere about five years later, 2018 probably, uh, I was sitting here in the Waterloo Ice House one Saturday morning uh, before we... It was on a morning that we weren't meeting for breakfast, okay. uh, but I was sitting yep. here eating breakfast and working a bit. Uh, fairly fairly busy morning, a lot of, a lot of people here. And uh, when I finally finished up and, and, and got ready to leave, buttoned up my uh, briefcase and stood up to leave, this lady at an adjacent table got up and walked over and said, Mr. Jerkinson, do you remember me? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Perhaps I should. I said, you look very familiar. I'm sure I should, but I, I honestly don't. And she said, oh, I, I work at the Admiral's Club for American Airlines. <laughs> and and, and uh, so this was literally five years later. Five years later. Uh, yeah. After I had taken a flight, she, she still recognized me and got up and yep. came over and introduced herself and uh, said, we've missed you recently. And I said, yeah, I, I haven't been flying much, uh, flying mm-hmm. much of late. But uh, they were, they were, they, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a good crew. They, it, it, it was uh, uh, for many years, I, I want to say probably going on 20 years that I recognized mm-hmm. the same ladies working at the Admiral's Club during that yeah. whole period. There's some, some folks that made a career out of it, and they were... Uh, a couple of them worked were, really well together. I mean, they literally would finish each other's sentences, sentences. almost, and you'd be standing there after a, you know, a disrupted flight or something, and, and she'll like, okay, I've got Mr. Newman, and, you know... You, a lot of times we'd be standing there together and yep. they just sort us all out and, and, and move on. It was just, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the realm of all these things, 
of the business realignments, the 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 cuts, and and all you know, just they call them business efficiency now. But um, there are still some really. I even think of uh, agents working at the gates. You know, a lot of the the gate agent folks you get to see over and over again, and um, not so much out at check in, but but more at the gate agents were were, were pretty uh, consistent as well. I, I, indeed, there, there there was actually a gentleman that uh, that worked the gates here in, in, in Austin that I, I I recognized over the years. We chatted a lot, and I I ran into him a couple of times away from the airport, you know, mm-hmm. and, and still recognized. And there was a gentleman, in, uh, actually it was a lady in Dallas, uh, the mm-hmm. same way, that, uh, that yep. would work the gates that I, I recognized over time, and she recognized me. So fascinating that uh, yeah, when, you, when, you, when you travel enough and the, the personnel are consistent enough that you can, you can actually get to know a few people at that time. Well, folks, we've uh, gone way longer than I thought we would, but that's just us. <laughs> Any, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Exactly. Is, is our and, motto, so. and if we haven't even seen each other for a month, and, and and if anything's going on in Tim's head like like mine, all little splinter stories are coming off of these Absolutely. these main ones as well. And um, be be happy that we aren't going to extend this out another three hours. Exactly. We're just you know, so this, this is a mercy killing here at the at the end of this episode. Just uh, let's try to land the plane. So yep. uh, in fact. Uh, we did have a little bonus material. We were going to talk about Elon and, and space things, and we'll just stick with Elon's back on schedule, it sounds like, or at least a little we'll, bit there. We'll give it another couple of weeks, and hopefully they'll done, have done another six launches of satellites, and uh, we can talk about that. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Tim. Enjoyed it. Let's uh, see what this one sounds good, like. Good, so. to see, good to see you back again. <laughs> good to be seen. Take, Take care. care, Tim. Bye. And that brings to a close the conversation portion of episode 15 of The Mike Newman Show. This show is a work in progress, and I value your feedback in any form. Email, boostagram, a note on your PayPal contribution, or in the comments thread that you can find when listening to this podcast on a new podcast app. Found at, not surprisingly, newpodcastapps.com. All of which you can find links to at the show's website, at MikeNewman.show, and that is spelled M-I-K-E-N-E-U-M-A-N-N.show. This is a Value for Value production. What is Value for Value, you say? I mention it at the end of each episode, but it may be new to you, so I'll give you a little more detail. Quite simply, it's a mutual exchange of value between the producers of this podcast and those who receive value from listening in. I, as the producer of this podcast, publish this product for everyone to experience. Sometimes the product's better than others. I get that. You, in return, can listen in. That's step number one. And it costs you nothing in talent and treasure. But yes, certainly a bit of your time. I, on the other hand, am investing significant time, an obviously modest amount of talent, and some upfront and recurring treasure into the equipment, self-hosting, bits of software, you know, yada, yada, yada. And that's where we start. The next step is where it gets interesting and where a mutual exchange of value can occur when we close the loop and you have the opportunity to become a producer alongside me in this adventure. Yeah, you can bring content and as much treasure as you feel your time is spent here is worth episode by episode. Uh, There's literally millions of podcasts available to anyone on the planet with an internet connection. If you find yourself coming back to this show, ask yourself, how much value am I receiving personally? It'll be different for everyone, every time. 
But if you keep coming back, at least be honest with yourself that you're deriving value of some amount to spend time here. I certainly didn't invent this model. Far from it. I'm convinced that it's a longstanding model embedded in our psychology that we've largely ignored in the West because we're so used to essentially scanning price tags and paying the seller. Zero loopage. No feedback except for annoying surveys and minimal variability. By listening to this app podcast through an app found at newpodcastapps.com and reading through the draft version of a fantastic explainer on value for value at valueforvalue.info, I think that's with a number four in the middle there, you may start to see how you can send financial support and incentive back to the show with integrated messaging called Boostagrams or hit my PayPal link and send us some Migas money. And of course, through email to send me feedback at mike at mikenewman.show. Content ideas, constructive criticism, encouragement, or whatever by, by email. I, I value your feedback for sure. Uh, Tim and I really do enjoy our mornings at the diner, and we look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, stay awake, not woke, my friends. John 317.